Welcome back to Talking Dairy, where we dive into the most important topics on the minds of New Zealand dairy farmers. Today's podcast is a bit different because I won't be the only one asking the questions. Joining me is Te Awamutu dairy farmer Sophia Hunt, who will help me put some questions to Dairy NZ's principal policy advisor, Roger Lincoln. We'll be asking Roger to explain how waka ekenoa, emissions pricing, and whether agriculture is going to be brought into the emissions trading scheme. Sophia's family has done a heap of planting on their farm, so she's also keen to find out whether that'll be recognised under her waka ekenoa. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Roger and Sophia, thank you so much for coming on the Talking Dairy podcast. It's fantastic to have you on, and I'm excited about this conversation about Hewaka Ekenoa and emissions pricing. To get things going, it would be great if you two could just introduce yourself to our audience, please. Maybe, Sophia, could you go first? Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're farming, and how long you've been there for. So I'm farming in the Waikato region, particularly Te Aumutu. And on the farm that I am on, it's a family farm that's been within the family since 1916, so over 100 years. And conveniently, Grandma lives next door, so she's still involved. um, And she actually grew up in the house that we're living in now, so she's very much tied to the farm. One of my goals is being part of this farm is actually to see it to get to the 150 years So I'll be 72 then. So that's a real motivator for me to actually keep things going and and keep everything (laughs) as as sustainable, both financially, but also environmentally. But that's a real motivator for myself to be part of the farm. Initially, I wasn't seeing myself in a hands-on dairy farming career, but there was an opportunity about three years ago where I thought, well, mum and dad need a time off the farm and take a break because dad is in his mid-60s and it's a bit hard on a man that's been farming since you know almost day dot and I thought oh, this is the time for me to slot in and sort of keep that tradition within the family going because if not me then who? We're farming 350 Holstein Frisians, so big girls and they're averaging about 600, 650 milk solids Yeah, they're performing well, they're good producers, and as a result, we're sort of more of your higher input farmers. So we probably are going to be more, you know, honing into the different pricing models with reference to the emissions trading scheme and Hewaka Ekanaa and what that will mean for our business in the next few years. Awesome, Sophia. And I know you guys have done a lot of planting on your farm and we'll probably come back to that a bit later on because that, I know that's been a really real emphasis for your family um, over the years is creating those shade spaces and things like that. Um, but yeah, that, that that's great. Thank you. And Roger, tell our audience about yourself, mate. Yeah, um, g'day Ben. Nice to see you again. And Sophia, lovely to meet you online. So for the listeners, my name is Roger Lincoln and I'm a Principal Policy Advisor here at Dairy NZ. I've been in the job for 12 months and it's certainly been hectic, which is no surprise, I guess, with the raft of policy issues that farmers are facing. So I'm based in the Wellington office and then working on things like Hiwaka Ekanoa, which we're going to talk about shortly. Yeah, good. So Roger, let's kick it off by getting into that that question that's going to be really front of mind for some of the farmers tuning into this podcast. Is agriculture going to be brought into the ETS? Well, I certainly hope not, but that's dependent on on the agriculture sector itself, right? So what we need to do is design 
a credible alternative to the emissions trading scheme that not only works for farmers behind the farm gate, but also meets the government's requirements because the government is actually looking for emissions reductions. So the job that we've got is to design that credible alternative, but entering the ETS is still a real possibility if we don't make Hiwaka Ekanā work right. Okay. When you say we need to make it work, what's it going to take to make it work? Well, I think it's coming up with that credible alternative pricing mechanism. So from a farmer perspective, it needs to work for the farming situation. So we want to make sure that methane is unbundled from those long-lived gases. We want the system of reporting to be as easy as possible. We want to recognise some on-farm sequestration. And then I guess from the government side of things, because the government is also a partner in this programme, they want to see emissions reductions over time. So I think if we get those ingredients right, I think we can come up with a credible scheme. Cool. Now, some of the people listening to this will have a really good understanding of Hewaki Ekenoa, some probably less so. It'd be great if you could just give us a bit of background about what Hewaki Ekenoa is and where it came from. Yeah, sure. So it's a couple of years old. So you remember sort of in 2019, the government announced that it wanted to bring agriculture into the emissions trading scheme. And that would be initially at processor level and then eventually at the farm level. And then organisations like Dairy NZ, Beef and Lamb, Federated Farmers strongly opposed that idea, the decision to bring agriculture into the ETS. And they asked for some time to design an alternative that would work better for farmers. So the government agreed to that request but reserved the right to bring agriculture into the ETS if we failed to deliver something appropriate or to meet some legislated milestones because they wanted to make sure that things were on track. So Hewakareka Noa is the name of the partnership between the sector, government and Māori. And we've been working on a design, so a system that will be better for farmers while also meeting the government's requirements. So you mentioned that there were some, some milestones to meet. What are you talking about there? What are those milestones, Roger? Yeah, well, we need to meet uh, milestones when it comes to putting in place the infrastructure behind the scenes that will help us to measure and manage emissions on farm. So, for example, we have a milestone for a quarter of farmers to have a farm environment plan with their greenhouse gas numbers by the end of 2021. And then all farmers should have that by 2025. So these things are actually legislated and the government is looking at how we're tracking towards that. And we also have milestones for designing that alternative pricing mechanism and reporting that through to the Climate Change Commission and the government for their consideration. So these are all very tight deadlines and there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes, as I mentioned, but time also to share this with farmers and to test these ideas with them too and see what they think. Hey, so you mentioned that uh, you said 25% of farmers need to have farm environment plan in place by the end of this year, correct? Yes. How are we tracking towards that? We're nailing it. So the dairy industry is doing very, very well. So we're a quarter of the way there. So there's some more work to do, but in terms of progress towards that milestone, we're going very well. Cool. Hey, Sophia, so you've been sitting there listening patiently. As you've been listening to Roger speaking, has it brought any questions to mind for you? Um, well, no, thank you, Ben and Roger, for the background information. I guess for myself as a farmer would be how is the Hewaka Ekanoa going to be better for me than the emissions trading scheme? Yeah, good question. So a few things come to mind there, Sophia. So I think there's opportunity to decouple methane from those long-lived gases. So methane, short-lived, different warming impact. 
disappears from the atmosphere quickly. So we've got an opportunity there to decouple methane from those long-lived gases like CO2 and nitrous oxide. The ETS would bundle those things all together. So we don't want that. I think, secondly, not being exposed to, to ETS pricing and carbon markets. I'm not sure whether you, you follow the carbon market, but that NZU price has doubled in a, in a year. So being able to sort of pick a price pathway for methane that, you know, it doesn't need to reduce to zero, I think is is also useful. I think the recognition of on-farm sequestration is also good. So there are some things that don't qualify in terms of sequestration, don't qualify for the emissions trading scheme. So we have opportunity there to actually reward for those things that the ETS doesn't provide for. Fourthly, I think in terms of any revenue that an alternative scheme you know, might raise, we have the opportunity to reinvest that back in the sector. So you know, if you're in the ETS, that money goes to the government, to the consolidated fund with no guarantee that farmers will ever see it again. So if I was to summarise all of that, I'd say two things. So one is control. So if we can design an alternative pricing mechanism, we have a degree of control and we can design a system that works for us in a holistic farm sense. And then secondly, I think, you know, it's pretty important to be masters of our own destiny and not have these things dictated to us by government. Mm, no, that's quite um, interesting, really, um, especially regarding, you know, as a farmer and, you know, particularly taxes as well. It's good to think, well, to know that if you do choose the Hewaka Ikanoa, ideally that funds will be going back into research rather than directly to the government to decide how to spend that. So that's nice to know. But um, I guess with the emission pricing, how will that be done under Hewaka Ikanoa? Do you have any more detail on that? Yeah, a little bit of detail. You know, I don't have all the answers. We're still working on those options at the moment, and we have to be bringing these out to farmers to discuss the pros and cons of some of those options and to hear farmer feedback. There's a number of options in terms of that pricing mechanism on the table. So, for example, we could look at a split gas levy that prices short-lived or methane and long-lived gases like nitrous oxide separately and with a discount for sequestration. So we're looking at that. Another option might be in the form of a processor levy is the default option with farmers able to voluntarily opt into a more detailed farm level system, a sort of tender for voluntary emissions reductions. So there's a few options on the table at the moment, but no matter what we come up with, that'll be tested with farmers and it's definitely going to be better than the emissions trading scheme. That does sound a lot better, particularly with mentioning the sequestration as an offset earlier, Roger, um, because on our farm we've done quite a bit of planting and we're quite lucky we can plant trees. So I know a lot of farms, especially on peat type soils, do have challenges planting and establishing trees, so we're quite lucky with that. But we've got about a hectare of acacias, which I think actually fix nitrogen based on a quick Google search. But we mainly plant pin oaks as a form of shelter during the summer and we're constantly wanting to increase that. But the only challenge is you've got to wait at least 20 years before the sort of doing the shade part for you. And so we've planted, well, not me particularly. Dad's done most of the planting, so um, more credit to him than I. Than I. But I have tried to um, set up my own little seedlings. Um, but again, you've got to wait. And patience is a is quite a virtue that I've learnt um, during farming because you cannot rush nature. But um, yes, I suppose, will that type of planting get recognition, whether it be, you know, 
as shelter belts or along fence lines as a form of shelter from the sun or even blocks areas of land that uh, simply just planted in trees will that be considered well the short answer is yes so still working through the detail you know sequestration and vegetation really interesting subject area really complex as a biological system but short answer is yes so the plan is that all native vegetation and all exotic vegetation like pines that aren't eligible for the emissions trading scheme will be recognised as on-farm sequestration to offset emissions. And that means things like shelter belts, riparian planting or shade trees, in your example, Sophia, will be eligible and will be counted. I guess 20 years until there's shade, but you know they're stacking on carbon in the interim, right? So it'd be nice to be recognised and rewarded for that. So that's useful. But it's important to also remember that you can only count vegetation when it's still growing or sequestering that additional carbon. So you're going to be rewarded for keeping it in the ground and actively managing it. But if you remove it, you'll need to pay back that sequestration benefit. So there are some pros and cons. Definitely. Um, you want to be a bit more strategic when you do plant a tree, because if you are going to remove it, then uh, there's going to be some definitely some pros and cons to that. I suppose... Further with that, how are you actually going to measure emissions and sequestration on farm? Will that be done through farm environment plans or overseer or what other methods are there? Primarily, you know, done through farm environment plans and that's why, you know, we have such a big focus on ensuring farmers have one. Suppliers, dairy companies, you know, really driving this with their farmers too. So we're seeing huge uptake, which is great. You know, we need to be able to have robust measurement reporting and to account for the actions that farmers are taking. So that's why the farm environment plan is a critical or a key part of the alternative pricing scheme. So we haven't actually fully got a farm environmental plan in place just yet. So I'm one of those working in progress farmers. But I suppose in final for a question, there's actually two questions. When does this all come into force and how much is it going to cost me? Yeah, that second question is really interesting. Um, I'll deal with the first one first. So, you know, although we're designing the system now and putting in place all of the framework behind it, the pricing of agricultural emissions won't actually begin until the 1st of January 2025. So, Sophia, you've still got time to get onto that farm environment plan. Unless we fail to meet some of those milestones, of course, we'll get brought into the ETS sooner. So that that's a real possibility and a real threat because the legislation already provides for this. So being able to switch agriculture into the ETS immediately, is there is still a provision in the Act. But of course, we don't want to trip ourselves up unnecessarily and have that happen, hence why we're working through Hewaka Ekanā. In terms of how much it'll cost you, there's lots of variables in that. And so unable to give you any precise figures yet. So some of those variables, of course, it'll, it'll depend on, on what the pricing option is that farmers like and will go for. It'll depend on how the price is struck for those different gases too, how big your farm is, how much sequestration you have on your farm and what kind of system you run. So sorry I don't have all the answers yet, but um, we'll know more soon. Yeah, Roger, when you say soon, do, do you have any sort of idea of when that will be? Well, we'll um, pull together some information for farmers, and I, I suppose it won't be specific to your farm, but there will be some modelling, some case studies, so some indicative ideas in terms of what the cost of greenhouse gas emissions would be for a particular farm type. Sure. Hey, and there was another question I had, that word sequestration. I'm just aware there might be a farmer listening to this who started working on a farm a month ago, 
you know what I mean, might be someone new to the sector. And we've been using that word a lot through the, the discussion. Can you just give a definition of that, Roger? Yeah, it's sucking carbon out of the atmosphere. So if you have trees or vegetation that are growing, they're sucking CO2 out, and that's a good thing. So uh, Sophia's shade trees not only providing benefit for the animals, but also doing a good thing for the planet too. So that's carbon that is stored and growing trees or vegetation. We call it a sink. So it's growing when it's in a steady state and it's no longer expiring or, or drawing down CO2, it's a reservoir. But if you chop it down, then of course, eventually that carbon is returned to the atmosphere. So that's what sequestration is. It's sucking carbon out of the atmosphere. Cool, thanks for that. It's gonna be a lot of strategic planning when those models come out that you can price how much your farm is going to incur as part of the emissions trading slash the Hewaka Ikanoa, how much it's going to cost to do what you do and ways that you can minimise that and I guess a bit of future proofing if possible, but deciding which ways are the best ways to do that. The time and the effort and the money to put those investments in to sort of leverage a little bit lower on the pricing scheme versus just absorbing the cost and yeah it's going to be interesting to see how each farm will manage it their own way. I think the thing there is how can farmers actually mitigate right so how, how can they either minimize the cost or avoid part of the cost entirely and so that comes down to you know farming practices but it comes down to genetics as well it comes down to the price signal, right? So are you going to be incentivized to do what you need to do? In terms of, you know, these targets that the government's put in place, we are really reliant on technological advances. So we need those inhibitors or those vaccines to come on stream, to be commercialized, to be affordable, and for farmers to actually bring methane down, so reduce to a particular level and then stabilize. And then there's no further contribution to warming. So we're going to have to make sure that we incentivize a lot of that research and development because, you know, we're not going to get there without it. Hence the revenue recycling and being able to determine that for ourselves is really important. Within the Hewaki Kanoa, I mean, I suppose everything is based on a model of how much methane and carbon you're emitting and the different short and long-term gases. But I guess for on our farm, well, most dairy farms, sorry, have the capacity to herd test and monitor which cows are producing efficiently and which ones aren't. And I suppose being able to um, select cows that are more efficient, but also having the performance of those animals sort of factored into that pricing or model or input method, because obviously every farm's different and every farm has some cows that are far more efficient at turning kg of dry matter into a kg of milk solid, that sort of thing, whereas some are a little bit more, take a little bit longer to, <laughs> or more energy to do so. I suppose I could see in the future a lot more uptake of technology in terms of just simple things like milk meters or more herd testing or that sort of thing to identify those cows that are performing and those cows that aren't performing. But every farm is different based on their capacity to invest in te into technology and what sort of technology they're wanting to uptake. For a farm like ours, grandma and grandpa had share milkers on here for a number of years 
and they invested into milk meters and since 1993 that sort of thing so we've had all this daily record of cows in their production which is great whereas when I released milk on a farm it was blank canvas the only recording is your herd test or your simple milk test docket you're sort of averaging it over how many cows are going into the vat that day rather than okay this cow's performing really well this many litres or whatever or and allocating that to a herd test result. Some cows will be maybe not milking that many litres but have a really high component and some uh, in the reverse doing a lot of litres, still a lot of milk solids but maybe less efficient than others. So it's going to be interesting just driving into those numbers a bit more as well from a production on farm point of view and probably for beef farmers too with the different genetics. As dairy farmers we do supply some element of beef to the beef farmers and I suppose having that beef being of a certain genetic caliber that they grow well they grow quick they reach their maturity and they can get off farm as soon as possible is going to be if I suppose the purpose of Hewick Economic if it can invest into that genetic side of things to enable farmers to make better decisions with regards to genetic selections both for dairy and also beef. That's part of the reason that pricing is important, right? So pricing is just one tool and pricing should never have to deliver all of the grunt that's required to meet emissions targets, but it's the genetics, right? And it's the commercialization of technologies, it's farming practice. It'll be things like land use change over time. There's a lot of land going into forestry and that'll have an impact for sheep and beef farmers and probably reduce the number of, of animals. So collectively and aggregate the sector in terms of meeting those targets. There's a lot of things that are happening now. The pricing will nudge it a little bit further towards the target as well. And then with those commercialization of the technologies in time, it's easy, I think, to see with all of those tools, um, the targets become a a whole lot more achievable. Sophia, I know that's a lot to take in. I guess, is there anything you'd like to discuss further or, or anything that you're still feeling concerned about? It's really an interesting situation for, I guess, both industry bodies like Dairy and Zip to advocate for farmers on behalf of, but also farmers as well to absorb that the political or the policy changes around how we're going to be farming in the future. I think it's going to um, definitely get a lot of conversation about both probably uh, positive and obviously the negative as well. The likes of having Hewaka Ekenawa as an option just sweetens the pickle of a situation, I guess, for a lot of farmers. I definitely see the positives of electing to do the emissions pricing based on a Hewaka Ekenawa model rather than a blanket flat model of emissions trading. And I can see a lot of farmers who, my dad, for example, that more technical information that you're trying to collect off farm, they've got it in their heads They know what they've done on farm, but to actually pull it out and put it on a piece of paper and say, this is what I've got on farm, this is what I've done, it's going to probably make a lot of farmers a little bit uncomfortable, but I guess it's just the situation that we're in. And to no fault of of their own, I guess, um, but it will be interesting to just see the dialogue that does end up taking place as we get closer and closer to that 2025. But hopefully the Climate Commission likes what's being put forward to them from DRNZ with the 
ability to choose which pricing model that will be available to farmers to select or elect from. That will be a bonus. It's going to be interesting, that's for sure. Roger, what's the what's the main thing you'd say to Sophia and other farmers that they could be doing in the meantime, like between now and when this comes into force? Well, there's, there will be that period of um, engagement with farmers um, where we talk about the pricing options. But I think, you know, like Sophia says in terms of having an understanding of what it is you're doing on farm, goes back to that importance of having a farm environment plan. So, you know, know your greenhouse gas emissions numbers, get a plan, start thinking holistically about this stuff before it actually hits in 2025. Thanks, Roger. Hey, and thanks to both of you. It's been a really interesting discussion and it's been awesome, actually, Sophia, having your input, getting that farmer's perspective. Those questions you've put to Roger are really valuable. Um, thank you. I just wanted to ask a, a final question to you, Roger. For farmers who want to get involved or learn more about all of this, how do they do that? Where should they go? Yeah, so, so Dairy NZ and other partners like Beef and Lamb and Federated Farmers are going to be putting out a whole lot of information over the next few months. So I just encourage farmers to engage with that content. I know, um, as I said to Sophia, that it's a lot to take in, but we're going to try and make this as easy as we can for farmers to understand the, the options that they have in front of them and to make some informed decisions. So we're going to be carrying out face-to-face -face farmer engagement with a nationwide roadshow later this year, if COVID levels will allow us to do that. And if not late this year, it will be early next year. So I'd encourage you to come along, have a discussion with us. And as Sophia says, it's not easy. I'm the first to acknowledge that this is a tough issue to deal with on top of everything else that's going on with farmers. But it's really, really important, I think, that farmers do take control and at a minimum, at least, have a pricing system that works for farmers and is on our, on our own terms. That's really, really important. So that's why Hewaka Ekanoa is a critical piece of policy that farmers need to have their say on. Brilliant. Hey, well, thank you uh, so much to both of you. Sophia, is there anything else you wanted to ask before we finish up? Not at this stage, but I suppose what I'd say to other farmers that are stressing about the potential impact of this, not just the paperwork, but also the financial impact that it will incur on their farms, because a lot of farms carry a lot of debt and any extra cost is going to be like, oh my goodness, no thank you. I guess just to remember that it's not, I think everyone that's within the industry, both not just farmers, but also that are fed farmers, dairy and Z, the likes, that they've equally been put into a difficult situation to try and make this as easy of a situation as possible and that the policy, unfortunately, well, some people would look at it as good because there's going to be positive outcomes. But from the most important thing for a farm is to first be profitable. And then from there, if it's profitable, then any investment in new technology is not so much of an awkward hurdle to overcome. But I can definitely um, sympathise with the position of the advocates within the dairy industry and the agricultural industry to make this as easy as a transition as possible and to afford the time to prepare farms to absorb the extra cost that it is going to be. And also for farmers to just, I suppose, take this time now to set up their farms to be really robust and, if possible, become a bit more financially flexible um, in the future when that um, legislation really comes rolling in. So, yeah, that's what my sort of parting thoughts. Thanks, Sophia. Brilliant. Uh, thanks um, very much to both of you. I really appreciate your time. And, Sophia, we'll let you get back to your herd testing.
thank you for having me. I know I've just got a few calves left to feed, but uh, that's all right. We'll get there in the end. <laughs> a few more hours in the day. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Sophia. Cheers, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Talking Dairy. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you'd like to check out more of our podcasts, go to dairynz.co.nz forward slash podcast or find us on your favourite podcast platforms.